This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about the Sazerac cocktail. Yes! Woo! Yes! And as always, drink responsibly. Yes, definitely. And I believe I know the answer to this, Lauren, but why was this on your mind? <laughs> uh, definitely because we are uh, quickly approaching uh, Mardi Gras. Yes. And uh, or Fat Tuesday specifically is coming up um, just next week. And so I uh, yeah, I wanted to do wanted to do something kind of from New Orleans because that is the uh, center of of, uh, uh, Carnival Mardi Gras celebrations here in the United States. Yes. Uh, Do you have any Mardi Gras plans? Zero. Absolutely none. (laughs) Um, I bet you do, though. Do you? Yes. (laughs) Well, like, it's so funny because I make my grocery list ridiculously ahead of time. I already have my grocery list for St. Patrick's Day. I love that you have a grocery list. Like, that's definitely not (laughs) something that I have. So this, like, really... Yeah, <laughs> really delineates oh. the differences in our personalities. <laughs> Not only do I have a grocery list, I do it in order of the store. So the items are listed in order of when I will find them in the store so I can get out as quickly as possible. <laughs> I love that you have a method of how you go through the store. <laughs> oh, yes. 
I've got a whole thing. But uh, yes, anyway, I'm making gumbo. Uh, I I will say I'm making kind of an easier gumbo recipe, but it does involve a roux and a whole thing. Good. Uh, Yes. Good. I'm excited about that. Um, I've got some beer from New Orleans. I don't have the stuff to make a Sazerac, but I do have a close friend of mine who we went to New Orleans uh, together for the first time. The first time I went to New Orleans, we went together. Oh, uh-huh. And she's going to come and we're going to hang out and just oh. do kind of a like, nice meal and hang out. That's, yeah. that's about it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, I definitely, oh man, after doing doing this reading, um, I do I do love a Sazerac cocktail. Um, they are just one of one of the like most like I, I always feel so like fancy and adult when I drink one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yes, I enjoy this bitter thing. <laughs> I'm enjoying it so hard. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. It's got that kind of air of like. This is an adult drink that you sip at a nice place. <laughs> right. It is like it's a sipping cocktail and it's like mm-hmm. something that um that right like I would only order from a bar that I have the idea knows what it's doing and um and yeah, it's just a it's just a really it's it's so it's so very New Orleans in that way to me in 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 terms of the cocktail culture being so pervasive there but also so like so like slow and so like um centered on really enjoying something and not just like drinking for the sake of drinking right yeah for sure uh (laughs) and of course i do have a star wars version variation (laughs) it's Uh called the sarlacc oh my goodness uh it's Mm -hmm. a bit spicier it's got some of course it's a sarlacc (laughs) right (laughs) right so i believe (laughs) some listeners have written in and asked for that recipe if you want it she'll send it your way uh but yes, gotta have a Sarlacc watching Return of the Jedi. It's just <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Oh, um, that's fabulous. Yes. Oh, it is. Uh, and you can see our past cocktail hours and our past New Orleans episode. This really made me nostalgic for when we went to New Orleans together for this show. Yeah, with super producer Dylan. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our... Yeah, that was our last field trip with uh, with Dylan as our primary producer, um, and uh, we love Super Producer Andrew so much, and are so glad that he has joined us. And yeah, and that trip though is just like such a like like what a way to go out, like what a bizarre, <laughs> yeah, grind <laughs> of a trip. Um, it was cold too. That's, yeah. I was thinking about that. It was cold. <laughs> it was cold. Like there was an unexpectedly small, like low number of beds in the house that we were <laughs> renting. It was mm-hmm. a lot. There were a lot of factors that went into that trip. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, oh goodness, I, I like it was so early in our uh, in our experience of interviewing people too that I like I have some serious. I don't know, like maybe not regrets, like I try to not regret stuff, but just like like stuff that I would certainly do differently. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of stuff like New Orleans is, as we talked about in that miniseries, New Orleans is a it's a unique place. And oh, yeah, it had there was a lot of like last minute scheduling changes or people popping in or popping out. And so the preparation aspect was a little difficult. And then, like, people wouldn't answer their phones. They yeah. couldn't get a hold of people. Uh, and there was definitely a cocktail, 
like just throughout the day, somebody would be like, can I get you a drink? And you're like, oh, I guess. Yeah, we were like, it's 10 in the morning, but sure. I, yeah, okay. oh, heck. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, um, oh, goodness. Uh, one of the... <laughs> One one of the interviews that I that I wish I had done a better job on was when we got to talk with uh, with Dr. Jessica Harris, um, who, if y'all haven't had a chance to watch the uh, the documentary series uh, High on the Hog, uh, uh, Whetstone Magazine um, uh, dude uh, uh, Stephen Satterfield, who has been on the show and is lovely, um, got to work with Dr. Harris and uh, and talk about she had written this wonderful book about uh, about barbecue in America and African-American cuisine and how it's influenced everything about American cuisine. And so, um, so yeah, it's a terrific Netflix docuseries and, uh, yeah, get to see much better interviews with her (laughs) in that and a lot of other really terrific people. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, Dr. Harris did have a hard out for a cocktail hour when we were talking to her. So. She did. She did. I'm not totally positive that it wasn't because she was pissed at me. Um, but but that's man, you you live and you learn and you and you treat people better in the future. Um, yes. At any rate, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, at any rate, you can also see our episodes on absinthe and bourbon and cocktail bitters. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but does this bring us to our question? Let's say it does. The Sazerac. What is it? Well, uh, the Sazerac is an alcoholic cocktail typically made with a base of uh, rye whiskey and or cognac, uh, kind of rich tasting either way, a swirl of something anise flavored like absinthe or herb sant, a few dashes of bitters like pashaws, a bit of sugar to balance, and a bright twist of lemon zest. The ingredients are stirred with ice and strained straight up into a glass. So it is like a glass of booze, uh, strong and strongly flavored. Uh, but when you get the proportions right, it is just sort of delightfully delicate, uh, herbal and heady and bittersweet. Um, it is, yeah, like sophisticated and sort of a lot. Um, and will mess you up if you do not watch yourself. Um, so it's very much like New Orleans in a glass. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, but let's break some of that down. Okay, so um, so rye whiskey is a type of whiskey made in the United States anyway, uh, with a blend of grains that includes at least 51% rye. Uh, rye being a relative of wheat um, that has a like nuttier, earthier, sort of like brighter and more vegetal uh, flavor than either corn or barley, um, which are usually the other grains going into the the, the blend for, for American whiskey. Yeah. Um, like American bourbon, though, rye whiskey is aged in new charred oak barrels. So, um, so a rye whiskey often has a little bit more like depth of flavor than a bourbon. Um, it tastes like a little bit weirder. Um, but does share some of those typical like buttery smooth notes and uh, like spicy bakey notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cognac um, is the name of a type of brandy from particular regions and production methods in France. And there are a few different styles of cognac, but um, but basically you're looking at a distilled grape product that is also aged in oak barrels. So it 
similarly has those like smooth butter and spicy bakey notes, but also like a like a little bit more fruit to it than a, right. than a whiskey would. Yeah. Um, and depending on on who you are and where you are, people like to argue about which base is most traditional or better for making a Sazerac. Uh, you might get just cognac, just rye, maybe a blend of the two. Um, more on that in the history section. I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> Anise flavored liquors um, are a whole dang category of liquors made in different places with different ingredients. Um, absinthe is a type that features uh, wormwood. Um, the brand Absinthe does not. Um, both do contain other botanicals, though, like anise, um, usually a little bit of sugar um, and yeah, like some kind of blend that's going to give the liquor a like sweet and savory flavor with a lot of spicy, incensey, woodsy sort of herbal notes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bitters. Uh, we've done a whole episode about bitters, but these are uh, highly concentrated preparations of botanicals, usually meant to balance the, the, the sweetness in a cocktail and provide a depth of flavor and maybe like a little bit of color to a drink. Um, they can contain all kinds of things that give them distinct and separate flavors, but they're generally sort of like woody and earthy and herbal. Sort of like if you if you smooshed a whole bottle of gin or amaro into something one-tenth that size. Yeah. Um, Pashal's is a brand that is heavy on gentian root, um, anise, and mint. People also like to argue about the way the best way to, to get sugar into a drink. Or whether sugar belongs in this one at all. Oh, gosh. <laughs> My heart's getting tense just I... thinking about all these things. <laughs> um, a lot of people will say that you're supposed to stir in a sugar cube. But of course, if you're stirring a sugar cube into a cold drink, it's not necessarily going to. I don't I don't know. I can't tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, people also like to argue about what to do with that lemon twist. Um do you just like squeeze it over the top of the finished drink to express the oils from the peel? Do you drop it in as a garnish? If you just squeeze it, how many inches above the drink do you express those oils? Inches? Yeah. How far oh. above the surface of the drink? This is okay. this is a conversation <laughs> I have seen play out. So, oh my goodness me. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go back to this sarlacc recipe recipe and I'm going to I'm going to make it like bitterly <laughs> difficult to do. I'm going to be like you have to twist it like 90 degrees while pulling and, and <laughs> with only like 17 inches above the glass like ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah. 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 Um oh mm. and uh, and I should specify that it's a lemon twist not a lemon wedge. There should be no fruit attached to the lemon peel at the time that it is being done whatever is being done to it near yes. or in the drink. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As you said, glass of booze. Uh, which, speaking of, what about <laughs> the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have too many numbers. We, we've discussed before getting numbers for cocktails is sort of difficult, but we do have a couple. Yes, like literally two. So, um, so volume sales of rye whiskey, uh, in the United States increased 1,500% from 2009 to 2020. Oh my. 
Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> um, not entirely due to Sazerac's, but due due to the to the to the resurgence in classic cocktails in general, partially. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And in semi-recent years, the Sazerac bar in New Orleans was serving 40,000 Sazeracs a day. A day? Yes, yes, a day. And we went there when we were in New Orleans and we had some Sazeracs. We certainly did. Oh, it was was lovely. It was really, really, really lovely. And we're going to talk more about this institution in the history section. (laughs) We will. And we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, another cocktail hour, another cocktail who done it? <laughs> uh, which, by the way, my good friend who's coming to spend Mardi Gras with me, I've known her since we were very young. Uh-huh. Uh, she, when I, we were in fifth grade, I gave her this gift and it was a, a book of whodunits. Oh, uh-huh. But she, I, I'll never forget, she opened the book and she said, what's a whodunit? <laughs> So every time I see that word, it's like, hooting it. Hooting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so Lauren and I were discussing before we started recording on this one. This one's really twisty and confusing. And actually said same friend dropped by today to, to drop something off. And I was in like a panic because I, I was telling her, I don't understand the timeline of the Sazerac. <laughs> and she was kind of putting her hands up and backing away like, okay. <laughs> like, okay, dude. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave now. Yeah. I had a similar moment in a meeting earlier. I was like, I really have to go, y'all, because I have to go research Sazerac's. And they were like, oh, you have to research. So I was like, mm-hmm. no, seriously. Yes. <laughs> I needed to get into the, the <laughs> details about all of this things that came into making this cocktail that make it so confusing. Oh. Okay. Okay, All right. but, I'm getting but riled so up. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. And like for for the record, it's not just us who are confused. These kind of histories are sort of necessarily confusing because there's usually a bunch of different accounts of what was really going on and uh perhaps less than stellar record keeping on yes. anyone's uh anyone's side and so mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh part of the confusion with this one is that there's Sazerac the brand, mm-hmm. there's Sazerac the cocktail, mm-hmm. there's Sazerac the establishment. Right. Um, there's also French involved. Woo! Which you know. Woo! French! French! Um, <laughs> and as you said, yeah, lots of stories with very little evidence, but also I feel like in cocktail hours often there was more evidence with this one than there – evidence is not the right word. There were more stories with this yes. one. Than there were with other cocktails. So I'd be reading one thing and I would think, oh, I've got a good grasp on it. And then I'd read another article and it was completely different, especially (laughs) with the timeline. And so I was getting mad. I was like, somebody tell me. (laughs) No one knows. That's a problem. But uh, but we can we can tell you what the different stories have said. And um, with with the caveat that like there are a lot of Right, like all of those ingredients that I just outlined, um, mm-hmm. uh, some have already been their own episodes and some shall be in the future because they all have their own complex histories. Yes, and there are a lot of interesting characters in this one. 
uh, that I would love to come back and, yeah. and talk more about. So yes, all okay. of that to say. Let's let's go. All let's right. get into it. Yeah. Yes, but okay. Before we get into this yeah. one, we do need to set the scene a bit. Okay. Okay, so briefly, and with a disclaimer, I got a lot of this information from the official Sazerac site, Sazerac the brand. The brand, okay. Mm-hmm. So Sazerac the brand got started in the Cognac region of Western France in the 1630s. Their namesake brand was Sazerac de Forge et Fils, and by the early 1800s, it had arrived in New Orleans, uh, where it went on to be a common ingredient in the cocktail we're talking about today. How that happened <laughs> is up for debate. <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is a type of cognac. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and the first known ad for the product appeared in the United States in 1839. So, oh, uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've got this cognac by the brand name of Sazerac in the U.S. Yes. Okay. All right. So now... Let's talk about the history of the legendary New Orleans drinking establishment, the Sazerac House. Okay. Okay. A lot of the past has been lost when it comes to documenting this establishment. But historians who have dug into the matter think that it first opened its doors in 1853 on Royal Street under the name the Sazerac Coffee House, or perhaps the Exchange Coffee House. Mm-hmm. Um, which it might have gone by uh, until 1869. This is one of my points of frustration. Yep. The dates get really murky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and people use different names interchangeably. So that was kind of confusing. Um, and they think that perhaps it was a place that originally operated to exclusively promote Sazerac de Forge et Fils, or, or the people who owned it were like, this is the only place you can get it. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. The inclusion of Sazerac in the name suggests that coffee was not the only drink that they served. Uh-huh. But also, including coffee house in the name may have been a way to sort of upscale the establishment into something that was a step above a saloon. Yeah. Yes. And for context, there were 200 coffee houses listed in New Orleans in 1859. Uh, this was and, and, and is uh, a huge part of New Orleans culture. Uh, the port of New Orleans was where coffee was coming into the U.S. Um, at the time. And also in New Orleans, serving liquor out of coffee shops or coffee houses was a way to get around some of the taxes on taverns at certain times in the city's history. Um, so those two things, plus um, the sort of like patriotic popularity of coffee in the uh, recently independent from tea drinking Britain, United States, yeah, uh, created this mm-hmm. huge boom in coffee culture around the city at the time. Yes. Um, and towards the end of the 19th century, uh, this place, this establishment, whatever it was called, the Sazerac House or not, mm-hmm. uh, had become one of the most well-known drinking houses in the city. And it was not only a place of drinking, but also social and business interactions. It was like a place you'd go and kind of eavesdrop. Yeah, on see and be seen and mm-hmm. right, just be close to the action that was happening. Yes. Okay. Um, so now that we've got those pieces sort of squared away a little bit, yeah, a little bit, what about the actual drink? Well, as with many cocktails we talk about, there are a lot of threads and precursors. Um, as we always say, I'm sure something similar had been happening for a long time. 
uh, prior to this, but historians think that sometime between 1850 and 1859, the name Sazerac was given to a popular cocktail that was served at the Sazerac house, but again, perhaps then still under the name the Exchange Coffee House. Mm-hmm. And also perhaps the name in reference to the cocktail didn't appear until the 1890s. Throw my hands up. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, but yes, uh, this drink was composed of bitters, Sazerac cognac, and sugar. However, many who have looked into into this whole thing posit that our more modern understanding of the Sazerac didn't actually originate at the Sazerac house. They think instead it was invented and or refined at a pharmacy, and perhaps specifically at a pharmacy owned by Antoine Amade Pechot in 1838. Pechot was mixing up proprietary bitters at his apothecary in New Orleans as early as the 1830s, and he was so confident in his abilities and in his product that in 1857, he took out an ad to highlight the availability of his product at, quote, the Sazerac House and other principal coffee houses in this city. The ad also touted the agreeable taste and restorative properties of his wares. And yeah, remember at this time, a lot of cocktails were viewed as sort of medicinal in nature. Um, And on top of that, he would allegedly serve hot toddies or other drinks with his bitters and Sazerac de Forge Effis to his customers. And he also touted that he offered, quote, the best bitters, peppermint, and alcohol. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, He has a fascinating life story. He's somebody I'd like to come back to. Mm -hmm. He built such a name for himself that his business was purchased by the Sazerac Coffee House after he fell on hard times in 1873. That same year, the owner of the establishment announced that it was the sole purveyor of Sazerac de Forge Fees. And this is one of the most interesting things to me, is that they kind of own a lot of what goes into the cocktail. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> At the same time, the Sazerac Coffee House was cultivating this reputation as the place to enjoy a nice cocktail. Mm-hmm. When Thomas Handy took over the establishment in 1870 or 1871, he dropped the coffee from the name. Uh, and he is sometimes credited with renaming the establishment uh, altogether after their popular house cocktail uh, in the first place. So... That was one of the my biggest points of confusion was when it became the Sazerac House versus yes yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes by all accounts it was the place to be which is a Seinfeld reference for those people out there <laughs> get me uh, yes uh, it was a place to gather and gossip and eavesdrop yes according to an article published by the New York Times soon after the Sazerac House closed down. Quote, one might see at any time a judge, the mayor of the city, perchance the governor himself, and certainly a score of lesser dignitaries. One went to the bar for arbitration and planning. Foot on rail, one discussed weighty matters while waiting for the cocktail to appear. Uh, The author of this article argued that we have New Orleans and specifically bartenders at the Sazerac House to thank for introducing the U.S. to the performative art of shaking and or stirring a cocktail. The recipe has evolved a bit over the years. One thing that influenced the journey of this cocktail or might have um, and the ingredients used in it 
was a phylloxera outbreak in French vineyards in 1885, which was on the wave of another one uh, from the 1860s and 70s, which we've discussed. In yeah, this episodes. is a this is a blight on on wine grape vines that um, can really, really do a number on a harvest. Yes, and it really, really did do a number on on this harvest. And this might have led New Orleans bartenders to pivot to American rye whiskey in the place of cognac. Or um, the the rye versus cognac thing might have simply been a preference that was at work um, both before and after this uh, this French wine grape crisis. Um, because the Sazerac Bar was located like pretty much smack on the dividing line between a French Creole neighborhood and a more like broadly Americanized section of the city. And so bartenders there might have been trying to incorporate rye as a way to uh, cater to and pull in um, the American clientele. Yes. Um, And then uh, another change in the recipe over time. According to some sources, in 1873, bartender Leon Lamotte added in some absinthe. And after absinthe was banned in 1912, herbson was added in its place. Uh, these days, even though absinthe is once again legal in the United States, most bartenders still use herbson to make a Sazerac. In 1889, Handy, uh, who was the owner of the Sazerac house for a long time, uh, gave his Sazerac recipe to William T. Cocktail Bill Boothby. <laughs> what a name. William what T. Boothby name. and Cocktail <laughs> Bill. What a great I love all of this. Please continue. Cocktail Bill, yes. Uh, for his book, The World's Drink and How to Mix Them. I think it's M. I wrote them, but I'm pretty sure it's E-M, apostrophe E-M. But either okay. way. Either you way. get the idea. Uh, but the book wasn't published until 1908. The recipe called for three-fourths jigger whiskey, two dashes pechot, absinthe to wet the glass, one half spoon sugar syrup, one slice lemon peel, with the instructions to chill a cocktail glass, wet with a few drops of absinthe, and then toss that out, stir other ingredients in the glass with ice, strain into prepared glass, and serve with ice water chaser. Ice water chaser. Uh, ice ice water would have been very fancy at the time because oh. of the uh, 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 relative rarity of refrigeration and 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 of ice. So if you had like an mm. ice water chaser, that was like super posh. Oh, um, <laughs> but um, but this is still the basic recipe that most people go to and riff on. Um, it's it's not you're not pouring absinthe into the drink. You are maybe misting it over the surface or rinsing the glass with it or something like that. Ah, okay. Or your okay. absent or whatever it is that you're talking about at any rate. Right. Um, the name Sazerac referring to the cocktail was trademarked in 1900. In 1901, Thomas H. Handy and Company launched a national marketing campaign around its bottled Sazerac cocktail. Um, and it seemed to have worked. In 1903, the Washington Post wrote that it was just as famous as the mint julep. And uh, they also wrote about the, quote, spectacle of the immortal Sazerac. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then here uh, we get to the point in the timeline where right um, absinthe was banned in the United States. That happened in 1912 following this whole panic in Europe about uh, drinking and hallucinations and sin um, that you can hear all about in our absinthe episode. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. an interesting one. <laughs> Uh, however, just like all cocktails, the Sazerac was hit pretty hard by prohibition. 
In a 1925 New York Times report, the author wrote, Even the name is but a memory. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. The Thomas H. Handy and Company. So the Thomas H. Handy and Company, they kind of had to switch up what they were doing. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, So they started buying and selling groceries. And somewhere in all of this, the Sazerac Company came out of it, but I could not figure it out. Okay. (laughs) But anyway... Yes. Uh, After the repeal of Prohibition, they started selling liquor again, including their bottled Sazeracs and other bottled cocktails. Yeah. Um, But meanwhile, because absinthe was still illegal even after repeal, um, they needed substitutes for absinthe. And that is when this New Orleans pharmacist by the name of uh, J.M. Legendre, thank you, Annie, for helping me struggle through that off air, um, he created uh, absinthe. Well, at first he called it Legendre Absinthe, but, like, feds told him to stop that. Um, And this formulation contained no wormwood, which was kind of like the quote-unquote offending ingredient in Absinthe they're considered to be at the time. Um, Or it contained no wormwood in the bottle. Like, there were a lot of winks to Absinthe and to wormwood surrounding the whole thing. Like, the label had a picture of the old Absinthe house on it, which is an absinthe bar in New Orleans that we also spent time at because it was one of the few places that was open and had Wi-Fi <laughs> in, <laughs> in the quarter <laughs> at all hours of the morning. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and also um, uh, herb sant, um, meaning holy herb, was a common term for wormwood among French speakers in the New Orleans area at the time. Um, the Sazerac Company bought the brand at some point. So yeah, that's where <laughs> that's where Herbsong comes in. Um, and meanwhile, um, as I kind of alluded to in the numbers section, um, rye whiskey uh, fell pretty seriously out of fashion after Prohibition. Like people never really picked it back up um, after repeal, um, just due to like shifting tastes and I guess like its perception as like an old man's drink um, mm. or something that like why would you drink that unless you were super shady. Um, uh, especially as vodka started taking over a little bit later on. But at any rate, yeah, um, it wasn't really being produced for like decades. Uh, and it would come back, but not for a minute. Yes. Uh, and in 1937, journalist Stanley Clisby Arthur wrote, There are cocktails and cocktails, but the best known of all New Orleans cocktails is the Sazerac. Um, And that, quote, American rye whiskey was substituted for the cognac to please the taste of the Americans who preferred red liquor to any pale-faced brandy. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Language note, for many years, cognacs were advertised as brandies. That was another layer of confusion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, cognac is a type of brandy, but sure. Um, uh, There is some there's there's some speculation that this journalist. he was kind of responsible for actually a lot of our modern confusion about the history of the cocktail because some people have like not accused him, but perhaps just like like inferred that he was more interested in telling a good story than getting the facts precisely correct. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Like, like, for example, a cognac and a rye whiskey are quite similar in color. Um, 
Yes. So the color isn't really what we're anyway. So yeah, there's just like a lot of no one is entirely sure how accurate he was being. And he sort of drove the story for a long time. Mm, yeah, I can see that for sure. <laughs> uh, from 1940 to 1944, an ad campaign ran for the, quote, famous Sazerac cocktail, only available at the Sazerac bar. Hmm. In, yeah. In 1949, Sazerac obtained the copyright for the Sazerac cocktail label. And they also purchased Herbson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and after changing hands a couple times, um, uh, they they reacquired Peixot in 1970. Uh, and okay, this gets a little messy, but the Sazerac Bar reopened at a different location after Prohibition. And also in 1949, the vice president and managing director of the nearby Roosevelt Hotel, Seymour Weiss, purchased the rights to use the name Sazerac Bar from the Sazerac Company <laughs> and later that year opened the new Sazerac Bar. Uh, he also did away with the bar's men-only rule, welcoming women. Uh, and according to some sources, the move was so successful that women came in droves. <laughs> Enough so that papers labeled the event Storming the Sazerac. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, the bar closed a decade later and the name transferred to the Roosevelt Hotel's main bar. So it kind of it's bopped around a lot when it comes yeah. to locations and ownership. <laughs> yeah. Uh a little bit later on, the Sazerac company launched their own brand of rye in uh 2006. Um, absinthe was made legal again in the United States in 2007, um, and that was roundabout right when rye was like making its comeback or starting to make its comeback. Right. We've always, in these cocktail hours, we mentioned that kind of craft cocktail resurgence. It mm -hmm. was part of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, a member of the New Orleans Culinary and Cultural Preservation Society named Anne Tunerman. I hope I'm not butchering that, lobbied the Louisiana legislature to, quote, save the Sazerac in 2007. Uh, a bill to make it the state cocktail was defeated in 2008, but was later passed that same year. Official state cocktail. And yeah. yes, even, even the naming of it as such was very confusing. So good job yes. all around. It was. <laughs> this it was history section. <laughs> I know. Gosh, I, it's been a while since I've gotten so flustered and frustrated <laughs> by a history. It was fun. It was fun to learn. It was just confusing. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I want to nail this down. Uh, but I also read several funny articles about this whole state cocktail thing that was like, of course... Louisiana, New Orleans has this cocktail, state cocktail. And mm -hmm. Of course it is, the Sazerac. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Oof. Well, this has been quite the journey. Yeah, uh, it has. Um, we, we, that is about all we have to say about the Sazerac for now. Uh, but we do have some listener mail for you. We do. And we'll get into that after a quick break forward from our sponsor. Back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Celebration. Oh, yeah, there you go. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kelsey wrote, I just finished listening to Listener Mail 10. Following your discussion of the BBC and availability of Doctor Who, as well as a recent mention of the Van Gogh episode, sad face, uh, (laughs) it occurred to me, have Lauren and Annie done a Doctor Who fictional foods? If you have not, please add me to the chorus of requests you wade through (laughs) daily. (laughs) P.S. If streaming is failing you, feel free to join me in living in the past. We rely on borrowing DVDs from our local library and watching them via Xbox 360. (laughs) (laughs) P.P.S. Please consider adding a SpongeBob Christmas to your bizarre feast night. It's worth it any time of year. Oh, Lauren, you're going to hate me. I'm going to make you watch that. (laughs) And I'm going to make you watch the holiday special. Wow. All right. Well, I enjoy the glee with which you just said that I'm going to hate you. So this sounds this sounds really you know, fun. Yeah. Um, we have not done be. a Doctor Who fictional foods episode. We definitely should. Uh, we've definitely gotten requests for fish sticks and custard. Uh, we could talk about jelly babies. Um, and I'm sure yeah. all kinds of like less uh, uh, poppy things that I'm forgetting about. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly people have requested this one. I think that would be really, really fun. Um, so it is added to our list. And also, I too, I am someone who has physical DVDs still, and I still rent DVDs from the library, so I'm on your page. And recently I was made fun of for this. But <laughs> Oh, whatever. Come on. It's completely functional. I know. Why not? Yeah. Also, I've been in situations where there's no Wi-Fi, no way to stream. Right. You gotta have your DVD backups. You do, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> over on Twitter, Zara wrote, For your baguette, you can always cut in slices of the appropriate size for onion soup. Make the soup part and freeze that too. On a cold evening, all you're missing is the cheese. That sounds so good. I've never oh. been so excited about all the frozen baguette <laughs> in my freezer. <laughs> See? Oh, I I knew y'all would come through for us. That's great. You always do. You always do. I'm so excited to try all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much to both of those listeners for writing in. Mm-hmm. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. 